This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Marissa. And we're going to talk about Time Bond. Oh, no, we're going to talk about Dr. Futurity. <laughs> A 1960 novel by Philip K. Dick, which was expanded from Time Pawn. So we are going to talk about Time Pawn as well, I think. And uh, I I think I know where this story came from other than from Time Pawn. I have a really good guess. I haven't read any notes uh, on Philip K. Dick, by Philip K. Dick, about this novel. Did you guys read that? Any, no. Did you find anything? No. Not much. Okay, well, um, there's a story by, uh, C.M. Cornbluth from 1950 called The Little Black Bag. Have you guys heard of this story? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so it's pretty famous. Uh, it's in Science Fiction Hall of Fame, Volume 1, and it's, I don't think it's a very good story, actually. <laughs> um, and I think that's what Philip K. Dick thought as well. It's set in the same, um, sort of universe as The Marching Morons, which is also, uh, interesting, bad story, I think. It, a lot of people like those two stories a lot, and I, I, I can see why, why people like them in a certain way, but they're really negative. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Marching Morons got turned into the movie Idiocracy. Yeah. Oh, did it? Is that what it's yeah. from? Yeah. It's uh, a loosely adapted, that's a comedy, whereas, uh, it's not, I mean, it should be a comedy in the short story or the novella or novelette. It's, but a, it's, it's a black comedy, I think. Yeah. Okay. It's, I'm going to read it. Sad. I like that yeah. kind of negativity. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's pretty negative uh, uh, in the sense that, like, it it thinks that uh, if smart people don't have babies, then the future will be full of stupid people, uh-huh. which is a nice theory, but um, that it, it doesn't doesn't work because... Just because your parents are smart doesn't mean you're smart. Yeah, right. Uh, and just because, you know, so it doesn't, and what does smart mean? And so it, it makes all sorts of assumptions. Um, Cyril Cornbluth was a weird guy, um, sort of, I think, very self-taught in a lot of the science. Um, but he speaks with a kind of Heinleinian authority to a lot of people, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and the little black bag is, is, uh, it's a story about a, a black bag. It's a doctor's bag that shows up, I think, in the past. Um, and it's picked up by an alcoholic uh, bum who uses it to become a doctor. So all you have to do is open up the bag and, you know, sort of apply any of the uh, medicines or sprays that are in the bag to heal people. So you just sort of reach into the bag and pull out something. And it it's like self-diagnostic sort of uh, equipment. Which is funny because in this story, uh, this guy's carrying around a, a little gray bag, right? Or mm. a little gray case. And at the end of the story, his bag is missing. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and I just thought it was interesting that it wasn't black. I, I think, uh, the, it being gray is sort of a Philip K. Dick nod to, uh, the fact that, that Cornbluth's, um, <laughs> idea is not exactly right because, if you think about it, if I went into a pharmacy today and said, I'm going to heal people, 
I'll just grab a bunch of stuff. It's actually knowing the effects of all of those drugs, right? It, the doctor has to know what everything will do and how they will conflict. So um, I think there's something going on there in that he takes a doctor from the, the past, brings him into the future in a time when people don't have the skills of medicine anymore. It's And then, of course, he, he can't use his skills. <laughs> it's it's very interesting sort of playing with that idea, I think. It's it, it, it's rather different to go into a society where doctor skills are not only not only not known but absolutely abhorrent and and dangerous and a crime. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of funny. They're not te- it's not technically illegal, right? It's that it's because he doesn't get charged with uh, healing someone. He gets charged with murder because he helped her and that caused her to kill herself. No, 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 no. It's not. He, 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 he gets charged with interfering with her attempt at euthanasia, at self-euthanasia. Right. That's, right. A, that's slightly right. different. Yeah. She, wa- she wanted to die, and he, inter- he interfered with that, and that's the crime that she testifies against him before she winds up do- willing to kill herself. Right. This is a, a very weird, interesting world. Another weird, interesting, strange Philip K. Dick future with the, yeah. again, we've had a nuclear war and bad stuff happen, but this time it's been fairly far in the past, and now we have a new primitive sort of very rough society that this doctor falls himself into. Primitive or advanced? <laughs> well, I guess primitive. Pr- primitive in I, I think, for our point of view, very primitive. I mean, the, yeah. the whole. But from whole, their point of view, <laughs> in, 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 in social in, in social interactions, it's very it's very strange. I mean, we have the we have these division into tribes. We have this very strange selection on how breeding works. Mm-hmm. It's very. Uh, it, it, I like it's, how. Go ahead. Uh, they. I like how they consider themselves so advanced, though, and our time is the is just super primitive. <laughs> that, that we don't talk about death or have it integrated into our society. Yeah, well, we. I, I think what's funny is we don't talk about death, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in our society, it, it, how much is this him playing with with uh, our world and just reflecting it back at us? Yeah, right. Um, because yeah, compared to their world, we don't talk, we talk about death all the time, um, or we we don't talk about death, I guess, but. Um, it's also youth culture, right? Worshipping young people. Uh-huh. And if you think about back in the 50s and the 60s, if you, or, you know, the 70s, if you, you see the movie heroes, they tend to be quite, quite old men. <laughs> you know, they're like in their oh, yeah. 50s. And it, it, now, you know, if you're a, an actor in your 50s, you're, you know, you, you have to play the, the wise old professor in a wheelchair or something, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they they don't get to play the yeah. uh, the the hero, the lead. Right. We've we've discussed Logan's Run on this podcast before, and sure. and, yeah. and how that movie and how that book sort of sort of changes that whole dynamic from towards towards the uh, allure of youth culture. And in some ways, I think Nolan's world, where everyone's twenty one or younger by law, is kind of a echo of Dr. Futurities where everyone is young just because people wind up killing themselves and there aren't that many old people. 
Yeah, I, I'm not sure of the appeal of that world, other than um, if you sort of you're in a culture, it seems you know it, it runs things for you. Like if you don't think a lot, um, you know, if you just accept whatever your your family is doing and whatever your you know school is doing and whatever your society is doing, and you just go along with it, um, then actually it makes uh, quite a lot of sense, but. Um, He's sort of playing with the, he directly references the Egyptians, right? How they live in a culture of death. Yep. And, and everything is focused on death so that, uh, in the end, you, you're, that's where you're actually going to live your life is in your death. So you got to make sure all, you got all the equipment you're going to need and that your place is all decked out properly. Uh, well, but in a future technological society, aren't we supposed to say, uh, yeah, but there is no afterlife. But they, they have the soul cube, whatever that is. What is the soul cube? It's like some sort of genetic repository is what I really understood it. It's weird, right? Because it's not, it's not like a, it's not a human afterlife in the normal sense. Yeah, I got the impression it was more, it's not so much the afterlife in the spiritual sense, but more just like the race itself, like the species, uh, is creating immortality, you know, taking, getting rid of all the individuals so that it has a immortality, just right. the it, race itself. Yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's, there's no individual post-mortal existence in the soul. Yeah, just, and there's no spirituality or afterlife how we think of it, I don't think. So it, it could be sort of like that... Uh, the way the world works in the city and the stars, the Arthur C. Clarke story, where they, the people, uh, in in this case though, I I think that in that story there are completely artificial people, like they they don't have a lot of uh, cells in their body. They're just basically mechanisms in in some sense, and then their personalities are remixed uh, when they go into the soul cube. But this is the opposite. It's it, you lose your personality and your genes go into it. Mm-hmm. Right. So, if you get like a hideous scar on your face in this society, oh, it's time yeah. to go to the soul cube because, yeah, you're nobody sp- wants to see that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, you're spoiled. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but I think that also ties into sort of the, um, the idea of the marching morons as well because kids are stupid, right? They haven't had enough education and they're not wise. They haven't lived enough years to see how things uh, how things should go. So when you have a society of of young people, uh they make poor decisions. And and so mm-hmm. they they don't get to keep that wisdom of the grandmothers, right? Right. The wisdom of of the old people who've gone through all this, they've seen this sort of thing before. They remember the uh the drought from 60 years ago and they can tell you you know how long it'll last and how to get through it. And and even if you have those as, you know, historical records, um, talking about the Vietnam War with uh, uh, teenagers today is not going to be the same as talking to uh, an actual Vietnam vet. That's right. my thing. So there, he, I think he's playing with something, because that land of the marching morons, right, It's they're genetically stupid. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. not that... 
Oh, go for it. You yeah, and, and, and yeah, the, the genetically stupid. But it's it's not that everyone's stupid. It's just that most people are stupid. The, the society's tilted one way, and you just have mm-hmm. a few people trying to keep society going at all mm-hmm. costs, and and kind of like pushing pushing against the tide, trying to keep things trying to keep things from falling apart. So when our hero from the Marching Marin shows up and he comes up with his plan, of course they're going to go for it. And of course, make sure that he doesn't stick around to. Uh, mm-hmm. So the plot him. is not not too dissimilar, except that the time travel there is one way. Um, he he, I think he he has he goes to the dentist and they give him the wrong medication or something, and he he's frozen for uh, <laughs> two hundred years or whatever. Yeah. Um, but this 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 uh. I, I like this story a lot more. It's it's not my favorite PKD story, but uh, it has a lot of interesting elements. Have, have either of you read uh, the, uh, the the camp essay language for time travelers? No. Nope. I don't know if it's online. I, maybe I should have seen if it was. It, I know it's in one of the short story collections, but basically it was like written like in the 1930s, and the camp explains how you should write language in the for stories set in the future, or someone right. winding up in the future, and he goes through he goes through all these possibilities of how English could evolve, and as based on how English has evolved, and the early parts of this novel, when when our hero is trying to figure out what everyone's saying to him, I was thinking, hey, language for time travelers. Mm-hmm. Clearly, Dick has read this and is trying to work with it because uh, once so it fits in. Yeah, because once 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 he's. Because, I mean, at the start, we don't really know or understand what people are saying, but as, but eventually the traveler finally gets a hold of the general sense of language that versus some weird terminology. So it's like, okay, it's like he's, he's acclimating himself to the changes in English and is now going forward. Yeah, he does that super fast. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, well, yeah, he could spend the whole half of the novel doing, doing that yeah. sort of language thing. But language is kind of hard to do in, I mean, language difficulties are kind of hard to do unless that's the point of your entire novel. And if it's not, then it takes up a yeah, large chunk. You have to hurry it along. <laughs> you have to you have to hurry along unrealistically, but you have to hurry it along. Otherwise, you get just bogged down in that forever. I mean, mm-hmm. consider the movie Stargate, for example, where we spend a fair chunk of the movie trying to understand the natives. But once we get to the TV series, we can't have that happen on every world. So they just <laughs> yeah. hand wave it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I found it. So, so you, you think PKD found this? Oh, because it was like written in the 1930s. I'm almost certain. If it's an astounding, he probably read it. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. think that's where uh, where both uh, Black Bag and um, Marching Morons were published. Um, mm-hmm. There's a a little editorial note in the inside of Time Pond, the uh, earlier novella. Yeah. Um, uh, a couple pages in, I, I hadn't seen this before, so I wanted to read it. It's called The Right to Live. Specialization brings rewards and penalties. In this picture of the far future society, even the right to live is narrowly specialized. Medicine has died, replaced by a ruthless euthanasia to improve the stock. There is no thought of healing, of curing. Yet the supermen of the future have to import a doctor from the past when it becomes vitally necessary to save one life. This is a time travel with a slight difference. The traveler is always an involuntary passenger. Uh, 
Yeah, so he, our hero, Dr. Jim Parsons, uh, apparently that's one of the characters on the Big Bang Theory as well. Uh, I think, I don't, I don't watch that show, but, uh, in my reading of other people's reviews, that seemed to come up again and again. The, uh, the character of Jim Parsons, he is sort of a, a time pawn, right? Mm-hmm. He eventually is making his own moves. Um, you know, he has to go forward in the future to plant all those markers on the distant dead earth, right? At the end of the story. But for the most, for the most part, he doesn't know what's happening. Like he's just riding along to work, headed to the institute, and suddenly, you know, he's, in a car crash. Yeah. <laughs> and then when he, you know, he gets picked up and he, people here want to move him there. And then, they, you know, he doesn't really take control of his own destiny until quite late in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's um, kind of cast about to, tither and fro. But he's like, around when he's, when he's get when he finds out, you know, that second arrow, Oh, I've got to go kill him. I got to get an arrow and shove it into his chest. Kill, kill the guy I've just finished healing. Uh, there's a, there's a sort of an inevitability to it. Yeah. Yeah, but then he but, doesn't. He, he tries to make a decision not to do it. He tries to break right. his cycle, his own cycle, only find out somebody else did it to, to, so his children do it, so to make sure that, I mean, it's not explicitly said, but in a way, his children are doing it to ensure their own existence. Because if he hadn't, I mean, I mean, okay, now I'm gonna get, now I'm gonna go down the rabbit hole, but this, this novel is very deterministic of like everything that's happened has yeah. happened or will happen and you can't ever change it. And it's, I love, it's out too. I love the scene. I think it's one of like the sort of standard classic awesome scenes of science fiction time travel. I don't think I've seen it done better, uh, where they're standing on the beach. You know, looking down at the the ship of Drake, uh, mm-hmm. the Golden Hind in the harbor, right, or on the beach, I guess, being careened, and they then he takes the binoculars and looks over and he sees the party that he's with <laughs> over on the far right, and he looks a little to the left, and there's another group of them together, the exact same people all standing together in groups, yeah, but they don't know about. Uh, it's so yeah. good. Because it's it's like uh, the the auditorium at the you know the first Beatles concert. It's only filled with time travelers. <laughs> I heard, yeah, I've heard that joke. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. It's it's like wow, you know everybody and you know it was such a good show. I went back and got <laughs> went went again, but I couldn't get the same seat, so I'm I'm like six rows back this time. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta be like that is such a weirdly awesome, interesting scene and. Uh, I like his take on time travel. Uh, it seems to be fairly consistent in certain ways that I, I'm, I'm surprised by. It's, it's like you really thought it through. And yet, um, I'm convinced by the way it starts and the way I love the way he has his characters asking questions. Um, it's like right at the very beginning, he says, uh, he says, familiar stars, familiar stars, not familiar, right? He's going through this uh, sort of asking questions. Are the stars familiar? So he's, I can see him, the keyboard, right? 
Okay, he looks up to see the familiar stars. Oh, they're not familiar. Oh, why aren't they familiar, right? And then he meets some driver on the road, and the driver tries to run him down. Why is he trying to run him down? He's sort of, like, figuring out the the future of the character as he's writing it. And so when the twists and turns come in the story, and I... I mean, so much of the novel is unpredictable. Like, you go here, 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 here. You don't know what's happening. You can't imagine what... Like, when he gets in that spaceship to go to Mars, I'm like, huh, that's weird. And then he gets there and there's nothing there. <laughs> wow, that's a twist. Uh, there's so much of it that it seems like completely unpredictable. It, it's very- and then the back half is completely predictable, Right. He he's he knows what has to happen next, and it all does mm-hmm. with some wrinkles here and there. Yeah, I love the first half. It's so, it's so fun, it's so creepy. Mm-hmm. As the character's still trying to figure out what's going on. Very Van Bachtian. It's so it's like just like plot twist, whoop, plot twist. Oh, we're on this rocket. Oh, here comes another rocket. Oh, they're dead. Yeah. Oh, we're now going to grab another rocket. Just beep 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 beep. Very like Van Bach would do like every. Every thousand words, just like, oops, now I'm going to throw another curveball at you, oh dear reader. Yeah. But it all it, it all works, I think. I, I don't think it... Oh, yeah, especially when we get to the second half, as you're saying, and now he knows what's happened, what's going to happen, and things have to play out, and he has to make things play out, because that's the way things work. And so it looks like he's gone off the rip, just keeps going off the rails, but he's really just setting up the track that he's going to come hurtling back down along. Yeah, it's uh, it's very well plotted in that sense, and it, that's not usually uh, the way I think of the way he writes it because it it, do, it does feel so much like this is an exploration. Um, now, it it might be the fact that Time Pond is right, sort of the first half of the book, right? Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. nothing. I don't think there's anything about Drake in this the in Time Pond, is there? No, I couldn't say anything. No, and, and the ending of Time Pond, and even the feel of Time Pond is very different. I mean, yeah, it's it's rewritten line by line. There there are a lot of similarities. The character names are same, but um, he even changed the setting. It, it's moved from New York in Time Pond to San Francisco, mm-hmm. uh, and the West Coast. It's much more West Coast oriented. I'm not sure w- w- what the change is, other than I guess it resonates better with. Um, with uh, Drake, which, uh, you know, he's a West Coast explorer, not an East Coast explorer. Oh, yeah. Um, so, well, yeah. Hmm. Well, it feels like he took the... He, he, he's written Time Pond, and he, and he took the... And he said, I like, I like this character, I like this world. He's almost using that story as his um, matter to mind for the new one, because he talks about... In Time Pond, he talks a whole stuff about the embryos and all this mm-hmm. other weird stuff about the soul cube and that we don't really yeah. quite get into in the novel, but in the, in the story, that seems to be half the point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Time Pond so seemed a bit more detailed somehow, like the, the dialogues were longer. And... Mm-hmm. It's, it's quite a long story. It's a novella, so it's it's uh, 94 pages or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not like... Um, the the re- rewrite is much much longer. No. Um, 
but some of the word choices, you know, like the spires are glittering in in this uh, in time font, and they're illuminated in in uh, one we're reading. What the heck's it called? Maturity. <laughs> wow, you just down on. I know. I'm. I'm just totally obsessed with Time Pond now because it. It. It's. It's like revisiting the same world, um, except yeah, slightly different. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, I. I think it's more beautiful in in some of its writing. Like the rewrite maybe hurt it because you know the spires uh, above the city. They're, they're ships swirling and darting like silver fish. He he excises that. Yeah, I like, thought that too. I thought. Why does he? Why does he take out something pretty? Does he just just want doesn't want to have air cars or something? I I don't yeah, understand. Yeah. I don't know what about some of these choices he made in going from time pond to the novel. I mean, I think something is lost. I think I think I I think readers and listeners should take them together because. Yeah. They're complementary in some ways. Well, I'm afraid nobody except for you and I and anyone else who can find it are going to be able to get Time Bond. It's never been reprinted. It's it's the only one of the few things that it, never has been reprinted. Is it out of print? Oh, it, is it, it, it in public it's domain? Only printed once. No, it's not in public domain, as far as I can tell. Ah, oh, damn. Okay, otherwise we could get our friend to record a recording of the of it. So that could I be. think I think that'd be wonderful. Unfortunately. Yeah. It's it's not going to happen Aww. for decades. But yeah, it's it's got a lot of beauty in in the writing. It's not that it's ruined in in the rewrite, but yeah, yeah. Here's, 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 I, I want to read a section of this for the readers who who might not get to uh, for the listeners who may not get to read this. But okay, so so they're they're in this the soul cube area. The chamber was a blaze of light. The miniature miniature cube had been removed from its mountain, laid on its back within its steps. The urnip figure rested quietly, eyes closed, body limp. The dead god suspended between worlds, waiting to return. It's like, damn, this is so good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, he's 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 really you know it, it's a very well written, very well written novella, and it's got a lot of power. And then the thing is, is I like I I like um, Doctor Futurity. I think it's good. Um, but I like Time Pond as a title better as well. I'm not sure why he's called Doctor Futurity, other than it he's a doctor in the future. It, it indicates it's a science fiction story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's strange. And how the novel just feels—it somehow felt a little bit rushed to me. But then when you read Time Pond, you realize it was so much, um, had so many more details and so much more depth to the interactions between the characters and. Mm. It's like, what? Yeah, what did you do with all that? So, uh, with the with regard to our standard tropes, uh, we've got a married man whose wife is shuffled to the side. Of the <laughs> yeah, again. Yeah. Right. Again. He gets to make an, uh, uh, make time with uh, women of the future and <laughs> just start a whole new, start a whole new tribe. The, 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 yeah, the, spawn a whole new species. Yeah, of, with the with the catechists. Yeah. Right. He seemed to he seemed to miss his wife a lot more in time porn than he did in the novel as well. Oh, is that right? Okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because at the end, he wants to get back to his wife in time porn, and uh, and Sternog, yeah, Sternog's kind of like abhorred by the idea of a wife. He's like, yeah, oh, different <laughs> cultures. Well, what the hell's that? That was oh. funny too. I wish he'd left that in the novel. I didn't see that in the novel. There's a lot of good stuff. There. Yeah. 
the um <laughs> the uh the description of uh the women as usual yeah a much more uh, uh <laughs> lengthy than the description of the men mm-hmm. you know the man is yeah, he had dark hair <laughs> yeah <laughs> woman's breasts are heaving here always here always yes ah, uh, and then he even doesn't he even cuts them off one woman in time porn like the it's a lot more horrific in that wow it's really wow. violent. Yeah. I can see why he took some of that out. <laughs> and, and, and yet there's a lot of stuff they doesn't they normally deals with that it's not here at all. There's no real questioning of reality or 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 or, or many of the themes of surveillance or just so it's like That's true I, actually. His and his character is thrown into this crazy world and just accepts it so quickly. Whereas normally yeah. his characters are like Questioning reality and <laughs> well, questioning themselves. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he's, he's this is pretty relatively straightforward and almost uncharacteristic that way of of Dick to just have okay, I'm thro- throwing this character in this odd situation. He's going to deal with it rather than questioning himself, his reality, the world around. Is this real? What does this all mean? He he he's going for a much more straightforward. Okay, I had the story. Now I'm going to take some of these details and turn out a novel. And throw in time travel stuff in detail and go okay. with it, and he does. But it is—it's not very. I, I wouldn't give this as the first Dick novel to anyone because it's so atypical that way. It's like they'll mm-hmm. start—they'll re- start reading other stuff. It's like, what the heck? This is nothing like Doctor Futurity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what it feels like? Is it feels like all the other Ace Ace doubles? You know, it's when you're in the Ace double reading mode. This is you know half of a novel. Uh, half of a book, flip over the other side and start reading the other other book. Uh, you're sort of in the mode of reading science fiction stuff, right? You know, just grab one, read the next one, grab. So all the tropes of science fiction, they're all just assumed, right? Mm-hmm. So, oh, okay, it's a time travel book, right? So you don't have to have the character like if if uh, I don't know one of those modern writers who pretend that they don't write science fiction. Uh, like Margaret Atwood. Margaret Atwood or, um, you know, even Michael Crichton, who, you know, I think is of is a very good science fiction writer. Um, their audience is not a science fiction readership. So what they'll do is that they sort of go through all the evolution <laughs> a normal uh, person has to go through to understand science fiction. Right. They said, OK, first, we're going to start you with H.G. Uh, Wells. Now we're going into Hugo Gernsback, and then by, you know, the third paragraph, you're, uh, you know, doing the 60s. <laughs> okay, now you're fully up to speed. Now the character doesn't have to, uh, have all of these, you know, typical experiences. So if, if you're reading these ace doubles back to back, picking up the next one, eating them like candy, you know, three a week, you don't need any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, uh, you're, you're already immersed in that world. You don't need that build-up. You're, you, you're, you you're, don't expect the character to be rapidly and shockingly surprised by uh, the fact that he's time traveled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's thrown off the beam. That's all we need to know. Um, uh, did you guys like the uh, car crash scene? I thought that that was really, uh, it was futuristic. Even. Yeah. He, cushioned right uh there it's airbags everywhere right yeah but on top of that there was a spray of anti-flame uh retarded yeah 
Yeah, and I'm like, damn, our cars should have that too. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why we don't have that. Because- the toxic chemicals that might be in it, for example. I mean, I mean, uh, you're not supposed to get near the stuff like in like a fire extinguisher for that reason. Yeah, but I'd rather not be on fire. Well, you know? yeah, well, yeah, I'd rather not be on fire than get than inhale some of these chemicals. Good point. <laughs> the people. This is this is the thing is we 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 live in sort of a screwed up uh, culture. People, you know, really worried about uh, certain things. But um, it's like, okay, you're you're uh, on a ship and you're starving to death. Um, the only thing you can eat is tuna. Oh, luckily you have a, a a fishing pole, so you get the fishing pole, you catch some tuna. Oh, oh, you shouldn't eat that. It's full of mercury. It's like, yes, you will die of mercury poisoning after, you know, seven years of eating only uh, sushi, you know. But um, I think you got to, to solve the starvation problem first, right? Okay. So uh, people do all sorts, you know, well, well, wait, as that's is bad for your lungs, but it is very good at anti, you know, flame retardant. So if people aren't going into a place all the time, asbestos is fine, Right. As long as you know it's there and you wear the proper equipment, because it will prevent, uh, you know, your things from going on fire. So, yeah, <laughs> I want anti-flame retardant, even if it is going to, you know, uh, be toxic at uh, repeated exposures, because I, I think it'll help me not burn to death. Yeah, I want the guide beams as well. They're pretty. I like those. Yeah, um, and I was thinking, you know, that's that's kind of the Google car with... Uh, it really is, yeah. Yeah. We're go- I can imagine that. It, Everyone it just sitting so- back and relaxing on their guide beams. Yeah, it seems like there's no computer in the car. It's just yeah. it's just uh, automatic control. Um, but, far, if yeah. think, but if you think about how GPS works, right, Is it, it, that's how Google does it. If If all, you know, we had a solar flare and all the... This is maybe one of the reasons we have we don't have Google cars right next you know next year right mm-hmm. is that if there was a solar flare and suddenly all of the GPS satellites <laughs> yeah. uh, we will have an inability to get it right uh, and people will um, lose the skill of driving I mean a lot of people don't have that skill already we could get it back but um, I'm sort of willing to take the risk you know yeah. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of a Charles Sheffield, the late Charles Sheffield novel Aftermath, where he, where uh, Alpha Centauri goes supernova and it wipes wipes out a lot of the electronics across the globe, except for America because we have lots of old crappy stuff. <laughs> no, no, because because in this future it's like 2020s or something. This was written like about 10 years ago. Well, a lot of those stuff using cell phones and all this high technology and GPS satellites and stuff, which is all extremely vulnerable, that one gets wiped out, whereas the U.S. has a lot of old infrastructure and old cars and stuff, and oh, so wow. limps around what? better than most of the world because they've gone and are, were a higher technology before this, uh, before this, uh, supernova, nova's, uh, particles hit. Cuba wow. would be in even better condition. Cuba would be even better. Aftermath by Charles Sheffield. It's first of three novels, I believe. I mean, Alpha Centauri goes supernova, and and then the Earth has to, the United States and the Earth has to pick up the pieces and figure out why, because all the evidence we know about supernovas and stars and whatnot is Alpha Centauri should not go supernova. So why did it? Hint: oh. Yes, aliens. <laughs> and and then this means trouble because yes. So obviously they did it for a reason, targeting Earth. So. 
It's, it's a good great. series. Charles, Charles Sheffield is a under was an underrated science fiction writer. I wind up talking him on the Three Horsemen podcast with uh, Fred, Jeff, and uh, John some some months ago. But sounds good. It sounds kind of like um, steampunk without the steam. Well, yeah, it, well, yeah, well, you got yeah, it's kind punk. Of, punk, yeah, <laughs> punk and rebuilding things together. What? What novel this, the, uh, all the Drake stuff kind of remind me of, and, and the whole plot of the time travel is this. Have either you read Passwatch? Nope. Uh, that's the uh, Connie Willis? No, this is, uh, Orson Scott Card. No, I haven't read that one. Passwatch, The Redemption of Christopher Columbus by Orson Scott uh-huh. Card. It's, 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 it's. That guy needs to be redeemed real bad. He was bad. <laughs> he was a bad asshole. Well, 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 yeah. And the novel kind of goes into the whole, okay, Columbus's voyage to the world was a bad thing, and so time travelers tried Not so much to- the voyage is what he personally was like, the, like a monster. He was a monster, and, and, the, and the whole problems of Columbia exchange, so, the, so time travelers wind up dissuading him from going to the Americas to try to, hmm. try to, uh, and, well, it turns out to be a cure worse than the disease. But I was thinking about that, and of course, these time travelers are trying to do, oh, we're going to stop all these uh, soldiers of fortune and all these pirates, and we're going to stop Drake, and we're going to stop Kazar mm-hmm. and all these people, and then the Native Americans will say, I was thinking, okay, that's like Passwatch, but yeah, it didn't work well in Passwatch. I don't want to give away spoilers. But I, I, I think this is another one of those, you know, the second half of the book, the everything other than time pawn, right? Is, is Dick has just read a book about Sir Francis Drake. Yeah. And he's, he's like really excited. Oh boy, this is just, this is just in my neighborhood, right? <laughs> in fact, he could have that, uh, if you go down the rabbit hole of studying Sir Francis, Sir Francis Drake's voyage, uh, off to the Pacific, um, it's very interesting because we don't know where he landed, uh, on the Pacific, but, it's his, it's part of, uh, one of the reasons they're targeting, because Drake isn't really a monster in the same way that Columbus is. He's, you know, a pirate and, right. you know, takes Spanish gold and he, you know, that's about it. He's just, you know, famous for bringing, uh, Queen Elizabeth I a big pile of money. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's about it. Yeah, it, that's basically why he's, he's so famous. Um, and the fact that he does sort of a circumnavigation, sort of. Um, no, he, and, he managed to circumnavigate the globe, so it's not even yeah, sort of. It's not, you know, the first one, so. Uh, it's just, uh, it's the English one. Which it's is the English cool. one. Yeah, which is cool. Um, and he does it on a pretty small ship. Uh, during 19, in 1986, there was the World Exposition was in Vancouver. And, uh, I went to that and they had, uh, one of the, one of the rebuilds of the Golden Hind. Full scale? Uh, yeah, full scale, like a actual ship. And it is tiny. It is like, uh, everybody on board the ship, I'm six, six foot two, but I was like almost crawling on the lower decks. It wow. was insane. Wow. It was insanely small down there. And, uh, there was like 80 guys on that ship too. <laughs> it's like, this is unbelievable that many people could, to, you know, walk around on a ship that small. Um, and I guess one of the reasons they brought it to Vancouver was because it was one of the possible landing pl- places. We don't know where he landed, Drake landed, other than it was north of where the Spanish had sort of made their claims. Right. Uh, 
but so it's at at least above uh, San Diego. Uh, and it could be San Francisco, which is, I think, where uh, it's set in the book. Yeah, right? it's some bay near San Francisco. He does he some. It's near uh, the Golden Gate, but not precisely mm-hmm. that the book sets. But yeah, yeah, we don't know for sure. No, and then um, other. Uh, if you read about it on Wikipedia, there's other spots like Oregon, where he possibly could have landed, and uh, Vancouver Island, which. Um, is what you know people around here are claiming um <laughs> uh but actually i was i was thinking about it and uh the name of of the english claim in north america is new albion or nova albion right mm-hmm. that comes up in this book yeah. and it's funny cuz there's a community just like a uh, couple cities down from me called albion which <laughs> and I, I looked it up it's named after uh, uh the uh New Albion or Nova Albion. And Albion, I don't know if everybody knows this, but I, I think this is it's really cool because um, Old English, I think it's Old English, um, albino, the word, it means white. It's So the white cliffs of Dover, yeah. right? It's, a, it's another word for England. So sort of the old word for England or the island of uh, Britain. And so uh, it all, it's, it, it's, it's funny the connections that, can be made when you start looking at history, right? Everything goes back that way. But Drake is is a kind of a weird figure to fixate on, as opposed to you know Columbus or Pizarro or um, who's the Mexican one? I can't remember. Cortez. Cortez, yeah, Cortez is a real bastard. If if anybody should have AK forty sevens lined up on the beach again, <laughs> oh, <laughs> that that's. Yeah, got to be him, right? But Cortez and Bizarro remind me of another time travel, but also kind of going tr- timelines crossing novels. Have either you read *The Mask of the Sun* by Fred Saberhagen? Mm-mm. Okay, add that to your add that to your list, listeners. Uh, there was actually also a series no- of uh, novellas that came out a few years ago, set in that multiverse. And basically, in that multiverse, one of the timelines, um, the Inca survive and. Because Pizarro gets gets bushwhacked, and they wind up producing a time traveling society that goes across timelines and time and space. The other major timeline traveling society is where Cortez got bushwhacked, and well, the Aztecs, complete with still with having fun with cannibalism, travel through time and space, and so oh, wow. and, and, and so our our hero winds up getting caught in the machinations of these two time traveling empires and winds up going back to 16th century Peru to try to bushwhack, basically bushwhack Pizarro in another timeline to prevent the, uh, prevent the, um, the, um, Aztecs from screwing things up. So. Wow. It gets complicated. It gets extremely complicated, but it's a lot of fun. It's a really great novella and, and a bunch of authors like Daniel Abraham, I can't think of some of the others. That's the only one that comes, comes to mind wrote other novellas set in the, in in this sort of time traveling universe it's 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 really it's real it's one of my fa- it's one of my favorites of all time it starts off in the guy's driving to key west and and finds a finds a basically a special artifact that not even these two time traveling empires really understand or know where it came from and well once he has that then they're very very interested in him and things go on from there and i i recommend it strong it's one of my favorites of all time actually and i was thinking oh 
Drake. But Drake, Drake is much more of a white hat than Pizarro or Cortez. So it's, yeah, he's not really a white hat. It's just it, he, yeah, he's yeah, but he's negative, not, right? He's not yeah. he's not so heroic as he as he is to you know he makes everybody rich. <laughs> yeah, he's, so, he's, but he's not. He's not feeling, but, yeah, he's not decimating native populations. No, yeah, there, it's sort of a weird guy to fixate on. But um, I guess you know Dick's a California guy. He's thinking about that and reads about him, mm. gets excited, right? It's also funny because uh, the way they talk in the future society about, you know, their time traveling, all their time travel back, um, they keep trying to change the past and it keeps not working. They keep trying to, you know, prevent their father from getting killed and it keeps not working, right? Um, but we don't see the the it keep not working more than just the one time, do we? There's him... When he 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 kills he kills the father right. By trying to stop him from going down there. And then he, he kills him again. But uh, other than that, there isn't like a a a lot of other stuff that he that he's not responsible for any of the failure to change. So is that does that account for the entirety of the lack of you know the uh, I don't know. Momentum, uh, the lack of movement in in the future, because uh, eventually, you know, his presence does change their society. Well, yeah, but only from the future, not yeah. not, not the past. The, I mean, the the past as says seems to be fixed, but the future is not, and he changes the future by, or he brings the future. Or what's well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe that future, maybe the future where he creates his tribe and changes that was always supposed to happen and he has to fulfill that. Yeah. And 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 him going to the going to the future in the first place is the first step to that because it eventually leads down the chain of him winding up having children and and starting that whole tribe. And I mean I mean can you consider the, the the scene with the arrow where he he's thinks okay I have to put this arrow in this guy and I can't do it. But his children rescue him from from his own failure and ensure their own own existence, which is actually a kind of a predestination paradox if you think about yeah. it. Because they, 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 yeah. They, yeah, they, they make their own existence possible. Which And it made me think that at the end is like, he, he doesn't seem that enthusiastic about getting those stone markers built. Oh, <laughs> so uh, yeah. That was but, but he knows not, he has to do it. get around to it. Yeah. Yeah, but he knows he has to do it. He knows yeah, he will do that. it. He knows he, well, yeah, but I got the sense that like, He's just, I mean, he's not, look, I better get on that because it needs to be done. It's more like, yeah, yeah, I'll get to it. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, the thing is, is if he doesn't, right, then he's going to have to be come in and saved again by his grandchildren or something and say, dude, if you don't do this, we're all going to We all don't exist. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of markers because that whole planet is covered in markers, right? It's not like just one little area of Earth. Yeah. It's the entire. Yeah, that's Earth. what he talks about. He has to bury, get them all buried. Yeah, because it's like that's not going to happen. So, I, I, I feel like the way he Dick ended it, he's, you know, he's lost his bag, right? <laughs> he's he's sort of not super enthusiastic about where he's gonna, you know, when he's gonna get started on those markers. I'll get to it. Yeah. Um, uh, it feels like you know he's leaving it loose so that we're going. Well, yeah, this is this is still not you know it's not completely resolved. It's, yeah, 
That's why the or, the first name, the time porn name, is just so much better because he's he's just back exactly. to being pushed around by that by time exactly. again. Exactly, I think that that's exactly why it is a better title. Yeah, makes you feel like he is. Uh, he he feels he's the chess master, right? Uh, after a certain point, he's making the moves that nobody else knows about. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's he's moved around. That's uh, the the scene in the two scenes, I guess, are the extended scene in the uh, spaceship to Mars um, when he's strapped in, can't can't move, right? Oh, that's one of my favorite scenes. Yeah. I love that scene. <laughs> the robot computer is talking and it's not even really yeah, it's not the, even calculating, right? It's a rat brain. <laughs> yeah. Rat brain Weird. Wiggling around and it's like, hmm, well this is not, <laughs> this is that, not going well. Yeah, that is such a creepy scene. I really like that. So it, the the fact that he goes somewhere and it opens up and there's nothing there, and it closes up and he goes somewhere else, it's like wow that it's like what it it feels like Dick like walked away from the keyboard and said hmm I wonder what's gonna happen <laughs> I still don't know I go for another cup of coffee yeah I, it, it is very strange like being shuttled around till the plot finally hits the character again or or even sh- it's even an indication of the, like okay if if the character doesn't try to get on track, yeah, then it's me endless shuffling around. He could have been on those rockets for who knows how long before he got quasi rescued. Mm-hmm. And and then when he eventually, you know, is confronted with people, they're holding guns pointing at him. Like what? What's that about, right? What are those guns for? Mm. Well, they think, oh, well, there's a, there might be some. What are those monsters Shupa? called? Shupa, yeah. Shupa, <laughs> yeah. Shupos. Um, so, uh, that, that's a good explanation, but then he's later confronted by another set of two people, right? And then another set of two people at the end. There's always, like, people confronting him when he's stepping out of, like, capsules or, or, uh, time machines. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's, it's like a, and and he also has to, you know, look them over, examine them closely and, Make remarks about the women. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's very it's like um, this is not a book written by committee. This is by one guy with a sort of uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> very funny way of looking at reality. I love I love reading Philip K. Dick novels because they're so funny like this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody I was reading uh, one of their reviews was saying, you know, you don't read this as your first one, but if you've been reading a lot of Philip K. Dick books. Uh, this is fine. This is fine. More fodder for your feed, right? More like, fodder for your feed. I like that. I love it. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. Oh, we got anything else on this one? I think we're good. More fodder for your feed? More fodder for your feed. Yeah, I think so. Well, uh, we better add some more fodder to our feed then, huh? Uh, yeah. Yes. If we gotta keep, well, we gotta, we gotta keep, we gotta get Marissa caught up and finish. And she doesn't mind being in the ghetto, right? Nope, I don't mind being in the ghetto. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's see how we can look at this thingy. How do we find a list of his books again? Theme selected works, maybe. No. Oh, bibliography. Here we go. Yeah. 
All right, so we have, uh, we're going in order of 